Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook or go to www.mantalks.com. Today, I have a really incredible guest with me. His name is Traver Bohm. Uh, Traver has done some incredible things. He's got a, a degree, uh, a master's in Eastern medicine in Chinese Eastern medicine, which is pretty interesting. Uh, he's also been a Muay Thai and MMA fighter. Uh, he's also done a lot of work with men in and around North America, and he's spent an entire year. We're going to dive into this part, but this is the this is a really interesting part for me. He spent an entire year living his life as though he was he would die at the end of it. So basically, he took a year of his life and said, "I'm going to commit." to spending this life so that at the end of it, I could die a happy man. And so Traver basically did all sorts of things from, you know, volunteering in hospice and working with people who were on their deathbed, basically. Uh, he spent some time in Utah, living in the, in, in the bush in Utah with nothing but a knife and a tent uh, and, and a water canteen for a month. He spent 28 days in complete darkness. Um, which we don't really dive into and he doesn't recommend at all. But he's got some incredible stories from traveling around the world uh, through this entire year. He talks about uh, going through a divorce and how all this came out of that. And there's some incredible wisdom of how to integrate just a little bit more purpose, meaning, and fulfillment into your daily lives. So without any further delay, please welcome Traver Bohm. All right, Traver. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to, to have you on. You've got a very, very cool background and um, I'm excited to like jump into some of this and talk about your TED Talk and all these other kind of... Awesome. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. So uh, you did some research on how we start these things off. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you know, for the listeners out there, give us some insight around a defining moment for you and how it shaped who you are today. Absolutely. You know, I did I did cheat a little bit and jump on other podcasts, and this was the one I thought about pretty much all night, but kept coming back to the same defining moment, even though I didn't want it to be, and I, I don't want to admit it, but about two years ago, I woke up one morning, and my wife told me she was going to be gone within the hour, and she just got up, packed a bag, and walked out, and from that point on, I can I can literally put, like, before that moment was one life. After that moment is an entirely different life. So as shitty as it was and as painful as it's been, that is truly, there was a domino effect from that day forward that is still happening and is truly my defining moment up till now. Wow. Wow, man. Thank you. Yeah. And so, so what, um, unpack that just a little bit sure. for us. So, you know, were there some signs? Because I think, I think, you know, a lot of men experience loss in some capacity, whether it's yeah, um, you know, losing their wife to to illness or something, or losing their partner, you know, through divorce or whatever the case may be. And, and yeah. for a lot of for a lot of people, it's a huge, huge challenge. And so, I'm curious if there were signs that were leading up to that. Yeah, um, and, you know, like were you shocked? Like how did that how did that happen? Sure, everything's a duality. So yes, in hindsight, there were signs. You know, the year prior, she and I had uh, had gotten pregnant. And then lost the pregnancy. And that was a, a traumatic event in the marriage. And I can look back at, at that and say that was one of the other defining moments because I didn't handle it well. I started drinking a lot. I started smoking a lot of dope. I started dissociating from that pain in every way I could except going and talking to her. Mm. Like, I remember the next day after that being like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. 
and that was our conversation. So in hindsight, yeah, there, there were some, some signs, but uh, I've done a lot of study in this area since and fell into the category of she made the decision months prior to leave. And then once that decision was made, our relationship was great. We got along well. We were meditating together at night. We were both acupuncturists. So we were treating each other at night. We were, you know, life was, was grand because there was no need to, she'd already left. So there was no need to argue. There was no need to hold ground. There was no need to, uh, there was no investment. So I thought we were just skating along and everything was great. Uh, so it was like a punch in the face that morning. You know, we just had, we just had Christmas with her family. We just had New Year's and, you know, toast to forever on New Year's Eve. And mm. our, our anniversary was a couple of days prior to that. And then bam, a week later, I'll be gone in an hour. Yeah. And so in the moment, pure shock. Like I literally was like, this cannot be happening. But in hindsight and looking at it from a distance, go, oh yeah, there were, there were signs all along. It doesn't just happen in, in a perfectly good relationship or a, a, a relationship that isn't troubled if you're acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a really interesting, yeah. I mean, interesting and, and unfortunate, but it, it also happens a lot, right? With, yeah. with people, and especially, you know, thanks for sharing that experience. Cause I think that a uh, lot of couples have lost a child yeah. in capacity and, and it can be a really challenging situation when people don't face it and deal with it and, and actually like, know talk about it in meaningful ways so absolutely so out of that you know for maybe for the listeners that are that are on the you know just listening to this yeah how do we how do we properly address things in our relationships so it doesn't have to be the loss of a, of a child necessarily but sure these sort of traumatic things happen in our relationship dynamic you know what are some of the lessons that you've learned of, of how to actually how to actually address this with your partner. Because I think that far too often there's like that big elephant in the room. Yeah. And we know that it's there. We can feel that, you know, like, like, you know, even most guys that I meet, I'm like, you're not dumb. Like you're not emotionally dumb. Right. You, you have instincts, you have intuition. Right. You know when your partner, whether it's a man or a woman is off. Right. And so how do we address that properly? What are some sort of insights that you can give people or lessons that you've learned along the way? Sure. You know, it's such a catch word, Connor, but uh, the concept of vulnerability to me now means just taking a risk mm. and whatever that risk may be, be it standing on a TED stage, be it being willing to have an interview, be it willing to sit down with your partner and say, God, I'm really upset right now and I'm really hurt and I don't know what to do and mm. I have no capacity on how to handle this on my own. So I need your help with this. Or I'm just going to have to vomit out these feelings because especially as men, this isn't my language. So I have no idea what's about to come out of my mouth. And it's absolutely fucking terrifying because I have a feeling that once I open my mouth, I'm probably going to die because feelings are going to kill me. That's my relationship with them. So just being brutally, radically, and lovingly honest. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had sat down with her one of 50 times and said, Hey, I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. My, I don't, I, I'm not okay in my business. I'm not okay in our relationship. There are things that are driving me crazy and, and I don't know how to tell you. So instead I just go grab a beer and, and shut down. Yeah. It, it's, it's that willingness, you know, to, to open yourself up and say, what I'm about to tell you is going to be upsetting. And I'm going to take the risk that you're either going to help me or you're going to leave me either way, anything in between I'm open to. Mm. Um, and that was, I didn't have that before, you know, I didn't have the capacity or even the understanding. And I talked to a lot of guys, especially who say, I didn't even know I was allowed to express that. I don't know what I'm doing or mm. that I'm upset or that I'm hurt or that I'm, I'm Oh, we know how to express. I'm angry. Yeah. But not even doing that like <laughs> skillfully. Yeah, we know how to punch a wall, but not say, God, that really made me angry. It's okay for me to be angry. I'm going to express this and get it out. And then we're going to have a conversation and move on from it. Yeah, it's, inter it's interesting, because there's a few things in there that are really powerful. And I think most guys, you know, uh, that, I've, that I've seen, don't really know the difference in, or the distinction between anger and aggression. You yeah. know, like anger is totally okay. You, women experience anger. Everybody right. experiences anger. Like it, it happens, right? right. And anger is actually a completely normal emotion. It's healthy. 
Yeah, it's it's healthy, and and when we allow that to sort of sit there and fester and become something more, yeah, when it turns into aggression where it's directed at people, right? Then it's a problem, right? right. Then it's something that's like not healthy. Your your anger is turned into something really unhealthy. Yeah, and you know, in in terms of the vulnerability, I think you really hit on something something powerful. It's you know, I usually say to guys like. There's, there's more than just emotional vulnerability, you know, there's social vulnerability, there's physical yeah. vulnerability. And, and those are the spots like, you know, putting yourself in a, in a space to be rejected, whether right. it's going to talk to somebody and tell them that you're interested in them, right. Or, you know, speaking up in a meeting where you normally wouldn't speak up in a meeting, right. You know, that those are actually forms of vulnerability. So you actually do it all the time. Right. Right. It's just that we're, we feel cumbersome with the emotional vulnerability part of it. So true. Yeah. So true. Interesting, man. Cool. So, so tell me a little bit about your background. Give us like your life in 90 seconds because you've lived one hell sure. of a life. And sure, I would sure, love sure. listeners to hear some of <laughs> the 90 second version. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I grew up in Wilton, Connecticut until the age of 10 and then moved to Japan from 10 to 15. Moved back to Connecticut and finished high school. Was a Division I swimmer and water polo player in college. And then I got out of college and had an interesting experience. I read the book, The Gift of Fear mm. by Gavin DeBecker. I was waiting for a movie to start and bought it, read it cover to cover. It made such an impression on me that I wrote Gavin a letter. First time I felt like a total dork. You want to talk about vulnerability? Like, Your <laughs> book was so awesome. I'm such a dork. And he, uh, he sent me back a job application. Really? That was for a high-end private security threat assessment company. Wow. For the next five years, I bounced around the globe protecting billionaires and CEOs and celebrities um, and, and went from that. Uh, at about the five-year mark, I realized that there was more that I could do for people than just, you know, kind of babysit people who had a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to go to grad school for traditional Chinese medicine and become an acupuncturist. And year one into grad school, I got really sick of sitting behind a desk and bought myself a ticket to Thailand and flew there to train Muay Thai and fought over there and then came back and fought MMA for a couple of years. And then uh, after my very first fight, I realized that I had zero cardio and was out of shape. I was you know, doing curls and presses to, to do my conditioning and found something called CrossFit. And this was back when there were 10 gyms in the world. So I joined a CrossFit gym and realized, wow, this is a powerful tool, especially if I combine it with Chinese medicine. And so I opened my own gym two years later. And for the last, up until this last January, uh, I ran a gym and an acupuncture practice in Santa Barbara. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. That's really cool. So I, I mean, I think just out of curiosity, I would, I would love to kind of dive into a little bit of like the, cause you've done a, like such a broad range of like health and fitness, yeah, you know, and then, and then kind of like talk about tying that into what you're doing now with sure. supporting people in terms of their transitions. Sure, um, sure, sure. But I feel like we have to address it because yeah. like, uh, I'm, I'm so curious, you know, like the swimming, like you're, for the, I mean, for the listeners out there, uh, we're, we're just having a conversation on video, but are you like, you're a big dude, you know? So I'm like, when you said like swimming, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> been playing water polo. I was like, that's, it's crazy. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk about fitness a little bit. Tell us sure. a little bit, some of the, some of the main lessons that you learned going through, you know, things like swimming and UFC or not yeah. UFC, MMA, yeah. and, uh, you know, Muay Thai and traditional Chinese medicine. Like what are some of the commonalities what should people be looking out for? What's sort of like your sage advice? My best advice to anyone is who's like, hey, I want to start getting back in shape or I want to get back in shape is to fall in love with the activity or find an activity that you love. You know, if surfing made me fat and out of shape, I would still do it. Hmm. If jujitsu made me fat and out of shape, I would still do it. If CrossFit made me fat and out of shape, I would still do them because I love them independently of the benefit that they give me. That's really important. And so I think people look for, oftentimes, people are like, well, I want to look like this person, or I want this result. But they don't realize that 99.9% .9 of their life is going to be spent in the process. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't love what you're doing, if you don't wake up and go, man, I, I can't believe that guy choked me out last night, 
I'm going to YouTube five different choke defenses. Like I'm sitting in a meeting going, how the F did he just, how the fuck did he choke me out? (laughs) That's not your process. Then you're in the wrong sport or you're in the wrong activity. Yeah. That's step one is do you love it? Because you're trading time for this, man. You're trading energy for it. Like this is your life and you can get in amazing shape doing yoga. You can get in amazing shape being a dancer. It doesn't matter what the movement modality is. It will get you the result. What knocks people off the path is they, they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I don't like, I hate running. I'll be honest with you. I absolutely despise running. I think running is for people that don't know how to fight. And so if you were to tell me every day you're going to be in the best, you know, you're going to look like a bronze god from running. I'd be like, I'm still not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> just, it just sucks that much to me. But it said the other things that I love, no matter what the result was, I do them. Mm. I think having a shift in people's minds is really helpful to say, what do you love, man? What did you love to do? What, what activity did you love to play basketball? Go play basketball. Mm-hmm. You're going to stick in it longer. You're going to get more benefit from it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you said that, man, because like recently I started boxing more oh. and, you know, I boxed when I was a kid Yeah, but, and I did karate as a kid and, you know, all, all that, all those like physical sports, And then, you know, I played hockey that took over my life. But recently I was kind of, you know, I had done the whole yoga thing for quite a few years Mm -hmm. and I kind of felt like a loss of passion around it. I just didn't really, I wasn't really feeling anymore. I hadn't gone in like, you know, six months. Yeah. I was like doing running and stuff like that. And then the boxing thing kicked up and, and it was just like, Ooh, I love this. Like this, this is great, you know? And, and so I, I think that's, that's really sage advice. Especially for men, if I can just add, mm-hmm. having something that's combative, every single person that works with me privately had to box. Mm. Like, why, even women. Like, well, why do I have to box? Because like, there's some, something very powerful about hitting shit. Yeah. <laughs> different if I have you go, okay, give me 100 push-ups. How do you feel? Okay, we're going to hit shit for 10 minutes. Now, how do you feel? Mm. Changes you spiritually, for lack of a better term. When you walk out of a gym and go, yeah okay, I'm, I'm, my chest is a little, a little more open. I'm, I'm standing a little taller. Yeah. I don't need to fight anybody in my life, but I just have that little secret that I, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. So I think all men especially should be in a, a martial art with a non-compliant partner. Mm. So I loved wrestling and jujitsu. You know, I can throw katas and forms in the air and I, I see the value in them to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but there's nothing in life more powerful than you saying, I'm going to try to choke the shit out of you and me going, Oh no, you're not. And then we have to do that dance of, of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I like it, man. I like it. It's, it's powerful. Um, let's take a little bit of a, sure. of a right turn towards the, the traditional Chinese medicine. Cause you know, you, you did, I think a, a bachelor of arts. Yeah, uh, in, masters. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. But you did a bachelor of arts in, in Asian philosophy first. Yeah. And then went into uh, traditional Chinese medicine and did a master's in that. Yeah. Um, it's a four-year master's with like six weeks off a year. It's brutal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so first off, why? <laughs> I found it to be – it's a great question, man. I was, I was visiting an acupuncturist's office, and the conversations she was having with me were about health. They were about being strong. They were about prevention. They were about building up as opposed to fixing problems. Mm. And that sparked me. And so I walked into an acupuncture school and was like, man, I went, took a class and was like, oh, wow, this is way too much work. I want the philosophy side, not memorizing herbs and memorizing patterns and memorizing acupuncture points. And um, then I went back about two months later and I walked in the door of a different school and it was like, boom this is where you're supposed to be. Nice. Uh, you, you've got to do this. And it, it shifted my view of health from like, I wanted to build people from zero up as opposed to I'm below zero. Now give me something to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's fix the person. Let's, let's look at, you know, I want to walk, want you to walk into your doctor's office. And the first question they ask is how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you moving? How's your libido? Okay. Now what's your problem? Now, why did you come here? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, you have a sinus infection. Okay, here, take this. Yeah, you have you have diarrhea. Take this. Yeah, like, let's uh, look at the person. 
that's that's huge it's a it's a good shift so so in terms of in terms of like some of the you know top takeaways from from that because i think i've always been fascinated with you know chinese medicine the culture mm-hmm. and um, some of the pieces from there so what do you see lacking because what you just said right there for example like when you walk into a you know a doctor's office with a sinus infection they just prescribe something rather than asking you these sort of behind the scenes questions yeah um, how can people like what were some of the main lessons that you learned mm-hmm. from from the from the chinese medicine that you know everyday people could integrate into their health that would help them live a healthier life for sure you know the one of the big shifts for me connor was when someone explained the difference between a root and a branch mm. and so my sinus infection was the branch and so i could fix that branch but if the root was still busted or out of alignment then the branches, a new branch is just going to grow out the same way. And so health-wise, like what are your roots or, or the things we just mentioned? Nutrition. It's, it's literally the most important thing you do as a human. What are you putting into this system? Food. Are you moving? Are you moving this vehicle that we have every single day, every day in some capacity? How, are your men- how is your mental health and emotional health? Are you meditating? Every single one of my private clients has to agree to mem- meditate. And you want to talk about throwing people off. Like, hey, I'm here to lose 100 pounds. Okay, good. Will you meditate? It's like, <laughs> um, so, so those basics, like what are the, the roots of your life, right? If your relationships, if you're constantly arguing about one thing, is that the root or is it the branch? Mm. And so it, with your health, you know, are you constantly getting sinus infections? Okay. Are you eating dairy? Are you eating flour? Are you... You know, what other stimulus is coming into your system that's producing that, that branch? So just shifting that way. Like, what are your basics, man? Like start with basics, right? Food, sleep, movement, mental health. Move well, eat well, be well, right? Mm-hmm. That's, from there, 90% of the issues go away. Then you get to look at, wow, okay, I have chronic sinus infection. I eat well, I sleep well, I meditate, I work out. Okay, oh, I have a deviated septum. Now we can look at specifics or now we can look at the, you know, the micro as opposed to, oh, the foundation of your house is busted. <laughs> Don't worry about painting the windowsills, man. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> There's water coming in the basement. bro. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us are like, man, that, that windowsill, that's just nagging the shit out of me. So I'll go address that with, you know, yeah. I'll slap something on it. Very cool, man. I, I love that analogy. I think for a lot of people that will definitely resonate Good, um, because it is, it is a powerful shift. And just looking at it from that perspective to say, because so many people focus in on the branch, right? Like yeah. they focus in on the sinus infection, or they focus in on the, the sort of like, you know, upper level surface thing. Right. And a lot of times there's something far deeper in the roots, as you, as you said, that's really causing that. So right. that's, that's a great analogy. Thank you. Um, let's talk about Muay Thai in Thailand because- sure. I don't think that we've had uh, you know a, a fighter on okay. podcast before, and so I'm curious. I think that there's a perception that we have out here in the West of what it's like to go and fight in Thailand and, and be part of Muay Thai, and you, they've got like the wraps around the, yeah. the forearms and the and the shins and stuff like that. What was it actually like to to fight over in Thailand? It was terrifying, you know, uh, quite honestly, and I got the shit beaten out of me. You know, <laughs> I, I remember in the ring thinking like why does the stadium why do the stadium lights being turned off and then turned back on over and over and over (laughs) who keeps fucking with the electronics you know and then i they finally called the fight at the um after like somewhere in the middle of the second round and i went back to my corner i was like this is bullshit why'd they stop the fight and my corner was like yeah um just have a seat man we're gonna everything's fine you're doing great you know come, come out of the ring like they made the right call I was like, and who's fucking turning the lights on and off? <laughs> um, it was a wild experience. You know, I went there again after a breakup. And so I think using that opening for people that are listening to this, one is valuable of like, okay, I have this opening. What can I do? And I blocked off six weeks or eight, actually I blocked off three months and went and found a camp that would take Westerners and just trained and trained and trained. And then an interesting phenomenon happened. They had a fight open up. For about four or five of us that were my weight at the time, which was super light, it was about 145 pounds. And there were guys that had been living there for a year and training for you know a long time. 
fight gets denounced and everybody disappears. It's like, what are you guys doing here? You've been, you've been here for six months. Why don't you want this fight? I've been here for six weeks. Hmm. Fuck it. I'm jumping in. No matter what, win, lose, or draw, I, wanna, I want this experience. I want to know what it's like to fight in front of a Thai crowd. I want to know what it's like to watch people betting on me. Hmm. Before you get in the ring, they took us, they, you're, all, I was all, you're all back in this sort of bullpen. They lie you down on a wooden table and rub like hot oil on you to warm you up. And guys come in and they'd start like feeling my muscles, like feel like asking you, how you feel today? You feel strong? How's your hand? You feel good? And you're like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> it's the guys betting. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, literally. They're checking in with you. Like, you feel good today? You feel like you're going to win? And I was like, I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> just a wild experience, you know? And then to, just to fight in front of people and um, to fight in that country and to be a part of that lineage is, is just amazing. Really amazing. Very cool. I mean, you know, it seems like it's a really intense a really intense sport that they like really take interesting uh, seriously. And I think a lot of incredible fighters have come out of there. Oh yeah. But just from like a, just from a, a you know, a strictly masculine perspective, sure. what was that like? Cause it sounds like it was like a very like visceral experience for you. Yeah. And you know, I would imagine that it's a very different space and energy from the studying of Asian philosophy or being, you know, be, being, being in school for traditional Chinese medicine or doing like water polo or something like that. That's the very um, opposite end of the spectrum. So what was that experience like from strictly like a, a masculine standpoint? It was getting to touch something primal mm. as primal as primal gets. So every time I fought, be it Muay Thai, be it MMA, you know, it's walking into the ring or walking into the cage. And I just got goosebumps. You probably can't see them. Um, but it's this, this hyper focus and uh, this animalistic feel that this has, this has come down through every single man. There is a predator piece of my DNA. And no matter how much I deny it by wearing khakis and working in a cubicle, it's still in there. And yeah. this is the expression of that primal force. Mm. Um, so it, it was, I think the essence of one end of masculinity, mm-hmm. you know, the, the physical, the aggressive, the, the violent, the destructive, the, the warring, it, it was amazing. It was, but as visceral, like I can still smell, like if I close my eyes and talk about it, I can smell the Vaseline. I can mm. smell the blood. I can still feel my, like what my opponent's body was like, mm. uh, but it, it was just an, you know, you you asked what was my defining moment earlier? It was a toss-up. If it hadn't been for my wife leaving up until that point, it was the first time I heard the cage door click behind me and went, oh, wow. Okay, I'm surrounded by chain link fence and another human being that wants to kick the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And he's in front of me dancing and, you know, bobbing and weaving and yelling at me. And it's okay, this is fucking on. Yeah. And there's a thousand people around me cheering and throwing shit. And man, this is as primal and real and visceral as it gets. It's, it's just crazy. Wild. It's yeah. crazy because I, you know, I, I feel like, and and I would love to hear your opinion on this. I feel like a lot of guys we like mute that in North America, absolutely, and and that part of us gets sort of like pushed down because it's still a part of us, you know. Oh, like yeah, it's 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 undeniable. I have yet to meet a guy who doesn't have that like really primal part of him. Yeah, I think that a lot of men actually get into trouble in their life because they push that part of them they're trying to ignore that part of them yeah or it's a very dominant part of them and they don't know how to deal with it they don't cultivate it properly and it comes out and manifests in these really negative ways yeah um do you agree with that like what's your take on that i agree with it 100 percent, 110 percent. if you get you know the calmest most serene loving guys i know are fighters Mm. with the exception of the outlier who's just there to hurt people yeah. It's because they actually, we actually do express that. You know, I've, I've t- I work with men and say, you've got to uncivilize yourself in a specific expression. Otherwise, it's going to leak out, right? It, you're going to be, it's going to come out in, through drunken fights. It's going to come out through domestic violence. It's going to come out through not expressing your sexuality skillfully. Mm-hmm. So first, it's about ownership. You know, I had no problem looking in the mirror and saying, this is part of me. And I can either go to jail because I'm going to tell you I don't, it's not part of me and let it get stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down 
until someone looks at me in a bar or my girlfriend, you know, questions my manhood and then I'm going to explode mm-hmm. or every day I can find an outlet for it. I mm-hmm. can punch things. I can, I can grapple with guys. I can hunt. I can do things. I can write. I can, you know, it can be violent poetry, mm-hmm. it can be, but it's got to be expressed. I think if we look at a lot of the challenges of the world, especially in the U S now, because right now it is the least cool time to be a guy <laughs> because I, I believe because of our president, because everybody's fucking pissed because the shadow side of the alpha male is sitting in the, in the, in the white house. Mm-hmm. So it's not cool now to be anger is awful in, in the public perception. Yeah. You can't be angry. You've got to be peaceful and loving love and light. Okay. There's, there's two sides to every coin. There's yin and yang, right? So I may go write some poetry and express love and, and speak authentically, but I'm also going to have to go hit some shit mm-hmm. because that's in me. And if it, if I don't get it out and I don't get it out skillfully, I guarantee you it will come out some other way. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a great saying that's, I think it was, I think it was in a book by Osho that I was reading and he just said, it's, it's only, it's only by experiencing darkness that we truly understand the light. The light. You know? and, and so it's in those moments, I, I think that not that we need to like, I think the really important thing is that all of this needs to be channeled in a really healthy way. Yes. You know, like I think that there's a misconception that when we talk about masculinity and we talk about this, this sort of more primal side of men, that it's, it's feared a lot by yeah. a lot of people. I'm not just saying it's like it's feared by women. It's like it's feared by men. It's feared by all people, right? right. Because right. It, it can be a destructive force. Absolutely. And what, I think what the distinction is, is it can be a destructive force when it's not cultivated properly, when it's not educated, you know? Right. And that's where we see that's where we see the little boy, you know, taking over and running the show in, you know, in a grown man. Yeah. Like somebody, I was on a, I was on a TV show the other day and the, the host asked, what do you think it means to be a real man? And there was some answers. And then he actually had, his name was TD Jakes, but he actually had probably one of the best answers that I ever heard. And he said, if the, a real man is holding the steering wheel of the car of his life mm. and, and the little boy is in the passenger side seat, not the other way around. Right. And we are, where we get into trouble is that we have these unhealthy men who haven't integrated the little boy within them. And right. he's still driving the freaking car. Absolutely. And when he's driving the car, you never know what's going to go wrong. You know, you never know what's going to go on because, you know, he can get pissed off and all of a sudden he's a grown, you know, it's this little boy inside of him, but he's a grown man with a hedge fund and he can destroy people financially or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we get in this, ourselves into some serious trouble. Absolutely. So I think it's a really valid point. I, I love your messaging and, uh, you know, in and around being able to cultivate that and curate it. So, you know, besides what, what's some action that a guy can do to sort of bring out in a healthy way that more primal side of him? Like, do you recommend that he go to his boxing classes or Muay Thai or like, what can he do just to start, just to get like a glimpse of it and how to cultivate it properly. Sure. I would say the best start is something physical, mm. you know, be it sport, be it weightlifting, be it jujitsu, be it boxing, be it martial martial arts are especially poetic in that area because they are primal in nature period. But I think every man should know how to box. Mm. Every man should know how to wrestle. Every man should know how to pick up weights. Even if you're not a weightlifter, it's you still, the DNA is still in you. Your body is still male. Testosterone still flows through your veins. And that is an extraordinarily healthy channel. It's going to teach you about your edge. It's going to teach you how you deal with pain. It's going to teach you how you deal with fear. It's going to teach you how you deal with letdown. You know, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu because for the first six months, all you do is get your ass handed to you. <laughs> you just lose. You yeah. lose 500 times a night. And you lose to little guys, you lose to old guys, you lose to women. Everybody beats your ass for six months. And so there's, <laughs> there's a huge process of like weeding out. And if you make it to the six month mark, you've learned more about yourself than, than most, you know, that and I'd say surfing maybe second because you just get pummeled. You get your ass kicked, but it's also physical. It is aggressive. It's an okay space that we've created that say, okay, it's okay to be violent in here. It's okay to be aggressive in here. Mm. It's, it's perfectly safe. We have an agreement 
that you and I are going to tap hands. We're going to try to kill each other. One of us is going to get in a space where we actually could kill, kill the other one. Someone's going to give up. We're going to shake hands and hug, and then we're going to go about our day. Mm. And we've literally mimicked a mortal experience and tapped into that part of ourselves and touched that part of ourselves. But we've done it safely. We've done it skillfully. And truly, we, we fucking hug afterwards. Yeah. It's like, thank you for giving me this opportunity to express myself in a safe way. And thank you for, for playing along with me. You know, you know what I hear? I hear that in those moments, there's a, there's a humbling of the ego. You know? and, <laughs> and, it's, and it's almost like in those moments where like we have to physically tap out, our ego has to do the same thing. A hundred percent. And we get to face that part of ourselves that normally is just running the show day in and day out. And there, there is something having been in that space and, and done Brazilian Jiu Jitsu a little bit. It, it is, it is so, it's so true. It's so humbling. And so, yeah, I mean, I encourage all the listeners to go try it at least, at least once. Yeah. Because even if you don't like it, you'll experience you'll experience what we're talking about, which is that, that experience of like being humbled and having no choice. Yeah. No choice. <laughs> I remember, I remember the first time I went and did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, <laughs> the, 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 I'm not too sure what the guy, like the Shifu or like the head, the head yeah. trainer, you know, he was explaining some basics and he was like, okay, I'm going to, you're going to be on top of me and you're going to try yeah. and like, basically like remove yourself. You're going to do everything you can. And he's like 145. <laughs> yeah. Right? And he's five foot eight. And I'm yeah. like, Shit, bro, like I'm six yeah. two, I'm six two and I'm two hundred and five pounds. I was like, I got this. And I kid you not, within the like I tried and struggled for like sixty seconds and that little guy held on to me and like by the end of it I'm huffing and puffing and I'm like sweating. And he just got this big grin on his face, like he hadn't even broken a sweat. Yeah, nothing. And I was like, Oh man. And so, you know, that's that's where your ego just gets checked so yeah. hard. Yeah. I feel like for so many guys, you know, we don't have a lot of those spaces anymore where right. so our ego just, it runs rampant or it just festers in like this, you know, really interesting sort of um, like childlike space, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, it never gets to mature and evolve right. and, and move into a, a healthier space. Right. It never gets to embrace the, it, the, its own humanity mm. of you're not going to be on top forever. Exactly. And there are people, no matter who you are, there's someone that's better at a sport, a skill, or situation is going to come and knock you on your ass. Mm. Being humbled is a, an extraordinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on that note, we're going mm -hmm. to shift gears a little bit. Sure. And I, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the Year to Live project, you know, where that came from and, and what it's actually all about. Okay. So long story short of it is when... Uh, the, I'll just preface this is the week after my wife left, my business partnership also ended. And so I had had a, a gym with my college room or college water polo teammate for about six years. And he let me know that maybe it was time to just clear the whole slate and start over. So all of a sudden, the two main pieces of my identity of being married to my wife and the owner of his business are now gone. And so I was left with an extraordinary amount of space. Okay, I don't have a job. I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. I'm about to turn 40. Holy fuck, what do I do? And the, the, what I was up against was I am either a complete failure at this point because everything a man needs and wants and, and goes after and I've gone after is gone. Or holy fuck, I have an opportunity here to do something I may never get to do again. And so with that space, I was down in in, in LA at a Zen center, doing some meditating, went to the bathroom, came out, saw they had a sign for something called the year to live program. I was like, Oh, that's intriguing. I went and looked it up and it was this 12 month program following a book by Stephen Levine called the year to live. And it was internal preparation for death. Say you're now given a 12 month diagnosis with cancer, follow this book. And this is how you prepare for that spiritually, emotionally, et cetera. I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting. I don't think I have a year here in LA, blah, blah, blah. So I just shelved it. And the, so this backstory of that is uh, I was trying to get onto a TEDx stage to do a talk on pain. And my coach called and said, hey, TED Los Angeles will have you come on, but they want you to do a six-week social experiment. So take 20 people, 
run them through your pain protocol and empirically document what they go through. And I said, no way. I'm depressed. I'm like, I'm bipolar at this point because I'm dealing with divorce attorneys and business attorneys and just my life is not good right now. I can't commit to doing anything with anybody. But I started thinking, what if I came back a year from now? What if instead of doing a six-week social experiment that involved other people, I did a 12-month social experiment on myself? Mm. I lived all of 2016, and I mean like lived it as if it were my last year alive. What would I do? And what permission would that give me? That would let me do stuff that I've always needed to do, I always wanted to do, to heal not just from this past trauma, but to heal all the shit that was out of alignment that let me get in these situations or live in these situations in the first place. So I sat down in front of a 12 blank calendar pages and meditated for about two hours and just sat there and said, whatever comes through, comes through, you know, what would I do? What would I really, really do with this question? Not, okay, I'm going to go to Thailand and bang hookers, or I'm going to go see the Eiffel Tower and, and catch waves and surf. But how, how would I, what would I need to do so that on that very last day, when I took that last breath, it was full. I was, I was full and I, did, I had no regrets. I closed all these chapters. Um, I, I reached out to people. As so all this stuff kind of started sort of coming through me. And I was like, okay, this is going to be hard. <laughs> I'm going to call my ex-girlfriend from a decade ago and I'm going to sit down with her and ask if she'll forgive me because I fucked up and ended that relationship when I shouldn't have. And I was kind of a dick in it. So I'm going to ask for her forgiveness. I'm going to work with, I know you had Michael Russer on. Uh, I sat down with him and was like, dude, what the fuck is intimacy? <laughs> I, I need some help here. And, and he and I spent a couple of days together that were amazing. He taught me a ton. I'm going to work with people who are dying. I'm going to volunteer in hospice and sit with people who are in this final hour because I want to know what it's like, not hypothetically. What is it like to actually know that a week or two from now, you're probably not going to be here? And can I sit across from you and hold space for you while you're going through that? And if not, I need to learn how to do that because that's mastery. I'm going to sit in the dark for a month. I want to know what is underneath absolutely everything. Like when you take, you take my wife, fine. You take my kid, fine. You take my dog, fine. Job, fine. What's underneath that? Who the fuck am I? underneath everything. I'm going to go live in the woods for a month and learn how to survive with a knife and a water bottle and a blanket. I want to figure out what's, what's, again, get back to that primal nature person. Like what's in here? What's in the woods waiting to, for me to learn? And more, I'm going to sit down with my parents and say, thank you. I love you. I'm sorry for like the years from maybe 15 to 25 when I was kind of a prick. <laughs> 15 to 28, you know, um, just mend all of these, these, these little places that my energy was and my, my life was that were out of alignment. I'm going to do this completely sober. You know, I'm going to quit drinking, quit smoking pot, quit, quit looking at porn. I'm going to get off Facebook. I'm going to live inside of myself as opposed to dissociated. And I want to try to share the entire journey publicly so that people along the way who say, you know what, I, I don't have a paycheck and no wife. Uh, I can't do what you're doing, but I can hear what you say and learn from the experiences that you're going through. Mm. That's powerful, man. That's it's yeah. huge. It's huge. And, you know, I think, I think that a lot of people have the urge to go and do some of those things that you're saying, maybe not for the entire year. Yeah. But, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I've, you know, for the last 10 years, I've wanted to go do a Vipassana and go sit yeah. in silence for 10 days, or 10 days, or, you know, people saying like, oh, I've, I've wanted to go out and live in the wilderness for a few weeks just by myself and, and they, and they don't do it. And, you know, I always tell people like, these are the things that, that you need to do now while you have health, while you have age, while you have time, while you have money, like, or even if you don't have money, like, fuck it, you don't need money to go live out in the wilderness with, with a knife and a poncho and a tent, right? Like, right. right. <laughs> you don't need money you for don't that. Need anything. But it's, it's really, it's courageous. And to, to kind of tie it back into what we were talking before, that really takes a certain level of vulnerability. 
Yeah. Everything that you just said, you get so, I would imagine what I hear from you is that you get so connected to the, to the truth about vulnerability. That it's not just like this emotional thing about like crying that it's, it's putting yourself in these situations where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to survive in this situation. Yeah. You know, like that is real. That's yeah. raw. Like that's vulnerability. It's yeah. cool. So, so I congratulate you on that. And Thank you. Um, what, what were some of your, what were some of your insights? Cause I would imagine that like, that's a life changing experience. So yeah. And I think that you dropped some really huge bombs on us already around, especially the hospice, you know, being able to, can I sit with this person and hold space for them? But yeah, but give us some insight into maybe one day or, or a few experiences that really, really shifted you last year and, and sure. the course that you're on now. You know, working in hospice is something that anybody can do. Everybody can do. It takes no money. It just takes two or three hours a week of your, or, or even just walk into a, a nursing home and sit with people. You know, so that's an instant. I tell people, you can do it this weekend. And if I had to, I, I did some extraordinary things last year, Connor. I was in extreme situations. You know, sit in a dark room by yourself, completely alone for a month. I mean, pitch black where you can't see your hand in front of your face for a fucking month. That's not as powerful as sitting with someone and having to open up your, my humanity and say, man, I don't know how to answer the question of whether your wife's waiting for you in heaven. I know she died four years ago, and you've been here for four years. I don't know if she's dating anybody else. I don't know what to tell you about that. Like, I'm, I'm a CrossFit coach. Hmm. I'm an acupuncturist. But I'm happy to sit here and talk it through with you, and maybe we'll just come up with an idea together. How do you feel about it? You know, or to sit with someone and know they're dying and they know they're dying and, and, and not lose your shit mm. and just say, we have to, I have to get down to the absolute basic of my humanity of I'm a person sitting next to another person and I'm just going to breathe here with you mm. because all you want and all you need is another human being in the room that's not judging them. That's not, that's not asking you questions. It's just, I would literally sit across from people and that's it. That was all they fucking needed was another human. And you want to talk about power of realizing that, you know, two months ago, my wife has said, I don't even want you in my life. The one person who has sworn to be there through thick and thin. So I feel like a piece of shit. And then to walk into a room and have someone cry and say, God bless you. God bless you just for sitting here with me. You realize no one cares how much I deadlift. <laughs> no one cares how much money I have. These people don't give a shit how good my choke defense is. They don't care how many Instagram followers I have. They literally want to know, can you sit here and be okay if I shit myself in front of you? Can you be okay if I throw up all over the place? Can you be okay if I break down crying because I am terrified? Can you do that? Okay, then you are absolutely everything I need in, in someone right now. Mm. And then you want to talk about like a mind fuck, but yet the most powerful experience to just say, me as a human being can offer you as a human being everything you need right now. And it takes no skill. Mm. It doesn't take muscle. It doesn't take intelligence. It's just, can we breathe? Can we do it together? Um, so I have a million situations like that from hospice of yeah, just holding someone's hand. or And, and I, want, I want to really be honest that half of hospice was hilarious <laughs> because these guys were so fucking funny. You know, at the inside of that crippled, in pain, banged up human being is, is a kid. Is a, is a man, is a person that like tells jokes. And I have this, this one guy, I always tell the story, he was 93 years old and he couldn't get out of a wheelchair. You know, he could barely move. And one day he leaned in and he goes, you know, man, my pecker doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, where are you going with this? And he looks around and he goes, but if it could, every nurse in here would be in trouble. <laughs> I was like, dude, you can't even stand. You know? <laughs> But it's that, like, the, the human was still in there. 
you yeah. know, the guy who was 40, the guy who was 20, the guy who was 10. Um, it was hilarious. And, and you get to see people's humanity and that it doesn't go away despite them literally being days, days away from death. Mm. That's huge, man. That's, it's so powerful. And I, I thank you for sharing all that because it's, you know, I think that what you're really talking about is just human connection, you know, and at the end of the day, you're right. Like we don't have to, we don't have to have anything for that. We we get to experience that freely. That's always free. Yeah. And and I, you know, I think one of the most underrated currencies is just human connection and being able to cultivate that at such a deep level and being able to realize that I think it puts a lot of things in perspective. So yeah, listen, man, this has been great. And I feel like we could talk for hours um, and get into stories and it it would be, it would be incredible, but we have to, we do have to wrap it up. Tell me a little bit about what you're working on for this year and what's coming up in the future. What are you really excited about? Right now I'm, you know, people started seeking me out last year when they found out that my marriage had ended, it had ended quickly and how I was using it as a tool for self-actualization, a tool to make myself better than I was before. And so I've been working with people one-on-one in that way, but I'm now developing that into a program so I can actually reach more people and help more people that are, uh, that are finding themselves in the same situation, you know, men and women that, wow, I just woke up one day and my life changed forever. I can either go right or I can go left. And I'm helping people say, no way we're we're going right. We're going to use this to change everything you ever wanted to change about yourself or look back on it someday and say, I'm so thankful that that happened Mm. as opposed to God damn it. I can't believe that. That was the day that ruined me. It's like, no, that was the day that made you reborn. Mm. I'm doing that. The program's called one day stronger. Uh, I'm finishing it up right now. We'll be rolling it out probably in the next month. Nice. Thank you. Nice, brother. And, and where can people find more information about you and about, because you have a book coming out soon next year? Yeah, I'm writing a, on the, the, actually the Year to Live project. So I, I blogged all year, but I'm taking the best, you know, 10 lessons from the year and putting it into a book so that people can actually be right there in the room in hospice or be right there in the dark with me. But mm-hmm. it's coming. It's coming. Uh, but people can find me at traverbohm.com. Uh, my website. And I, I really like Instagram as a, a platform. So I do, I use it almost like a blog every day and put workout videos or nutrition tips or just stuff that's rattling around in my head. Awesome. How I'm facing the day each day. Awesome, brother. And what's your Instagram account? It's at T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. Perfect. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate having you on. And thank you so much. We're gonna have to have you back. We're gonna have to. Have you back. <laughs> thank you. I would we'll love dive to. into some more of those stories. We'll we'll dive into more of you know life after divorce. I think yeah. I think that those would be some great topics, and um, I'm sure that we'll have people reaching out after this podcast episode. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so me. much for for being on being on, man. Those are some great. Thank stories. you. I appreciate it, Connor.